Some of you are still looking. There is no seatbelt on your seat, just, just so you know. Hey, let's take just a quick second before I get uh, any further, all right, as this camera is looking right at me, I want us to pray for Taylor. Okay, Taylor is uh, at Children's, correct? She's at Children's, so if you're watching this, this will be on Facebook. We are sending prayers to you, Taylor. You listen to your pastor right now. God has got this. You will get through this. He's going to touch your body, girl, and you're going to be okay. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on. What we've been talking about are these the end times, and this is actually six weeks into this. Six weeks. It seems like we just started last week, but we are six weeks, and we, we talked last week about Revelation 4. Today, we're going to get in Revelation 5. There's 22 chapters in this book. Now, some of them we may end up grouping a little bit together, but so we'll be kind of doing this for a few more weeks, but it's all good because I'm learning some stuff, and I hopefully you are, um, but we looked at Revelation 4. We talked about heaven, how beautiful heaven was, and, and how much uh, fun that'll be once we're there. You know, I mean, just how the Bible describes that. I mean, around my house, we've been talking about how cool heaven is. I just told Glenna something I heard from somebody that was a prophet. And so, you know, I just wanted to tell him I thought it would mean something to him. Just so many cool things about heaven. And, and you know, God's love for his creation. He, you know, he just loves you. You are the church. You are the true riches of God. So the world's an amazing place, even for what we know. We all have places that we love to go. I mean, maybe Disney World's your place. If you've ever seen fireworks at Disney World, and I, I mean, I have not seen any more spectacular ones than I've seen at Disney World. But the world is full of wonder and beauty and amazing things or, or events or places, or maybe you have your favorite vacation place. We have some that we go to that we just love. We visit Michigan often, and there's places I grew up there as a kid. My folks took us there every year. We went there one to two weeks every year, and I learned how to fish. I learned how to get stitches in my hand from knife cuts. I mean, all kinds of wonderful things. True stories, <laughs> but just had fun. <clears throat> I've went there since we've been in ministry, and I, I remember sitting in a boat just fishing when the water was so calm and the sun was setting, and all you could hear was the lake loon. Sounds like Andy Griffith, you know. Just loved it, and I could almost feel the stress just leaving my body. It was just an amazing time. So we all have wonderful things in the world. There's great history there. How many have their favorite food place they go? If you go somewhere, you're like, oh, you got to have one of these. You need to have this. And then you're like, oh, my word, that is so good. And then you eat it all and go, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but, you know, we, we understand. So, but the world, let's just be honest, as good as it is, it's also broken. There are stuff in this world that just are not good, that, that it is still broken. There's much evil, there's, there's darkness, and there's sorrow. I mean, there's stuff that... You know, there's just people that don't think maybe like you and I do or people that are just wanting good things. They have an agenda or they're thinking whatever. Could the world change? Can it be redeemed? In other words, is there hope for somebody that's went the wrong way? But you know, there's always hope as long as there's Jesus. With all the bad that's happening. So we're looking at chapter 5 in the book of Revelation. And this is a, a scroll that is brought before the throne of God. Now remember that the throne, and we talked about last week, is the king's chair. So it is, you know, it's God sitting in the place, in the king's chair. And we talked about worship last week. Remember we talked worship, what we esteem, what we prioritize, what, you know, what is the most important thing in our life. We live in a world now that is looking and wanting superheroes. 
This last decade, we've seen so many superhero movies come out. How about the Avengers? And, you know, you've got Captain America and Thor and Hulk and Spider-Man and Iron Man and whoever else, Superman, Batman, and the list goes on. There is a lot. How about Mr. Incredible? I like Mr. Incredible. I do. But because the world is broken, we are looking for answers. We need a hero. We need a savior. We need somebody that can almost save us from ourselves or make it all better. There's so many good things that we've seen happen, but again, we've also seen in my lifetime, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, you've seen poverty. There's more awareness to human trafficking, you know, where things are just not good. Drugs, murders, robberies, scandal, hatred, just plain evil. People not liking people just because their skin's different than theirs or whatever. And I mean, just like, really? You know, there's a lot of us, it's almost like, I can't even believe you think that way, but there are people that think that way. Unfortunately, the world does need a hero. We talked about the rapture last week as we were talking about heaven. We talked about those 24 elders that are gathered around one common place, the throne of God, all were worshiping, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the story continues to move on, and that's where we're picking this up. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who's sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, I want to stop for a second. This paper is the focus. This scroll is the focus of Revelation chapter 5. So what is it? What's it for? Who's got it? Well, it's sitting in the one sitting in the chair, the king's chair. God has the scroll. It is in his hand. And now I want you to also know from this time, as far as back in the day when Bible times were written, when you know, we're reading history when we read the Bible. You know, they're walking it out and writing it as, it as they live it. But just so you understand, so we can bring everybody up to snuff here. Scrolls from this time period were written on one side, not two. So let me, let me help you. When we went to school, remember when, you had, when they taught cursive? They don't do that anymore, do they? No, I don't know why. She can really write pretty cursive. I don't know about me. I sign my name in cursive, but it looks, when I sign it, people go, are you a doctor? Because you can't read it. It's not legible. But anyway, remember when we'd turn in a report? Now, if I was making notes for my report and I was in the library where you had to go use the library thing and look up the book, or now you just go by computer on everything, don't we? But anyway, back in the day when we carved everything out with stone and a chisel, I would write my report and I would use front and back because it was my notes. So, you know, I wasn't trying to save paper, then I was writing it. But when I presented it, I would present it one side, double-spaced, sometimes in a folder. So the teacher would get a really neat copy, but I just took it from my notes as I was writing it. Even when I was in college, I did that. This scroll, most of the times back then, were written on one side and sealed with one seal. Now, let me talk about the seal. A seal might be, in today's times, if you're sending somebody a letter and you lick the envelope, but then you put one, some little sticker over the end of it, you know, so it's sealed. And you know if it's been looked at because the seal was broken. Now, back in that day, that seal wouldn't have been a sticker, but it might have been something like a wax and a signet ring, and they put an imprint on there and kept it sealed. 
Now, this is saying something different. It's talking about seven seals and written, written on both sides, front and back. So let's go further. In Jewish culture, if it was written on two sides and sealed with seven seals, it would be like a title deed. In other words, like a deed of own property, like a mortgage of a house. Okay, so the first the title deed would be written on one side. So it would be just like a normal piece of paper and sealed with the one seal. If the owner went into default or couldn't pay the title deed, then it was taken back, sealed seven times, written on the backside before it was sealed, what was owed and the debt and why it was taken, and then it was sealed seven times. So it was written on both sides with seven seals. So you'd have to give it back, and it would require the deed to be paid off for that to be opened. That was the culture, and that was the law. So for that scroll now, sealed seven times because it was in default, had to be opened only when it was paid for in full. Are we on the same page? Okay. So some believe that is the scroll, or that was the scroll that the, the Bible's talking about for the deed to the earth. So hang with me for a second. But isn't that what Revelation is about? Isn't it about the redemption of the world? We used to sing a song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, this is about the redemption of the Lord, or the redemption of the world, and Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Remember, Revelation is revealing Jesus Christ. So this is how this happens. God gave, he made the world in creation, you can see it in Genesis, and he gave who charge over it? He gave Adam charge over the world. Adam lost the charge and gave it to the enemy. So the deed went into default. What was given to Adam, and you know the story, the serpent talked to Eve, and that's a whole other thing. We're not talking about that now. But So this isn't a person. This is the enemy in the form of a serpent talking to Eve. But he gets her, and he convinces her about the fruit, the tree, and the knowledge of good and evil, and all of that. She eats of it. Adam was there, didn't do anything, and ate it with his wife, forfeited his job of what he was given by God. He put it in the care of Adam. Adam defaulted on that, and the earth was given to the rule of Satan. Satan, the devil, is also called the prince of this world. So I'm just trying to connect your dots, put these all together. Now, remember then Satan is tempting Jesus, and he offers Jesus, what does he offer him? The kingdoms of the world. He goes after Jesus and he offers him the kingdoms. of. How can the enemy offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world? Where did he get him? Well, he got him from Adam. That's how he got him. Because Adam lost control of that by giving it over and disobeying. And so now Satan, the prince of this world, got that authority and that job from Adam. And so Jesus, and, and this, is, this was awesome. Um, Jesus has a desire, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, well, it is God's desire that everybody be saved. Everybody, none, that none perish. It's in the Bible. It's in Peter. None perish. Okay, Satan knows Jesus wants the world back. He wants the kingdoms back. And so that's why he offers him the kingdoms of the world. Jesus knows, now listen to what I'm saying. Jesus knows why he came. 
And now the enemy, isn't that how the enemy does us? He knows what you like. He plays you like a violin. And that's what he's trying to do here. And Jesus could take the shortcut and go, well, this is what I want. Because the enemy says, if you, I'll give these to you. I will give them to you because I know that's what you want. But you got to do this. You got to worship me. In other words, you kind of got to do what Adam did. You got to just get rid of this guy, and you got to worship me, and you can have all this. So Jesus could reason. Do we ever just reason with God? Let me just go my own reasoning. Well, I get, I'm getting what, you know, wasn't that the whole thing to come and get the world? So if I get it back, I'm doing that. Then isn't there a price to pay? And that's what the enemy does. He tells you stuff, but he doesn't tell you the ticket. He doesn't tell you the price tag. So Jesus, though, doesn't take the bait. I mean, he could take the quick, easy road to success. You know what? The world is after the quick, easy road to success. Who wants to be a millionaire? I'll give you three lifelines. I'd like to call someone that cares, please. You know, I mean, there's just so many get-rich-quick schemes, and that's why, they, because there's always, that's why the lottery is so popular. People just, I want to stop this rat race. I want to get off the hamster wheel. Let me get the easy way so I can rest. You know what I'm saying? I remember when we were first married, you know, my mom and dad had a trailer. Not, not a, well, it was really not a camper, but it was like a trailer. And they, we went to Myrtle Beach, and we stayed on the, Kim loves the water and the beach and all that. And we, you know, you're, you're kind of in your home on wheels. Now, it's small, but it's kind of cool. And so you're there, and we're like, hey, we want to do that. That's awesome. And so, you know, my dad was happy. Well, hey, we just opened up another world for you. That's good. Well, we went and started looking at, you know, campers and trailers. And we're like, oh, they cost a lot of money, even if you get a used one. And I didn't even think of this. I'm like, ooh, let's, and we started thinking, yeah, we'll get this one, we'll get this one. And the guy said, what do you pull it with? I said, what do you mean, what do you pull it with? <laughs> he said, well, what kind of car do you have? And I was like, Pontiac T6000, one with the Fred Flintstone feet to come out of the bottom. He said, I can't pull this. So then we realized you have to have something that's got to pull that to be able to do that, that takes more gas, more insurance, more everything. My whole point was this. Sometimes we want to run. We haven't even learned to walk yet. And that didn't just happen overnight. You have to understand the principles and the way to get. Sometimes the easy way isn't always the best way. Because sometimes easy, you know, the people that have been through some of the, how many went through some school of hard knocks? And it helped build your character. I'm not saying you liked it. But Jesus isn't taking the easy road. He, he's like, that's not the plan of the Father. He picked the right way. Somebody say amen to that. So this is what Revelation is all about. It's about revealing Jesus. Jesus could have taken another route, but he's like, nope, that's not it. And it's the redemption of the world because Jesus did it the right way. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So back to our message. Father God has the scroll. He's sitting in the king's chair. It's all sealed up. Let's go back to Revelation 5.2. I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? You see, breaking the seals meant redeeming the earth because if this is the deed to the earth, that meant redemption. It's like saving a house from foreclosure. It's right before somebody who's, that means the debt has to be paid in full. 
That's by breaking those seals. You can't break those seals if you don't have the collateral to do that. So the price was, was high, but here it comes. Only somebody worthy could do that. There's only one person that could do that. Not just anybody could walk up and open the scroll. Let me make this as easy as I can, since we've been talking about superheroes. Remember Thor? Thor had a hammer. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening all over this land. Anyway, back to what I'm saying. Thor had a hammer, but not everybody could pick up the hammer. People tried to pick it up, and they couldn't move the hammer because it had to be one that was worthy of that. Now, that's secular, and I get it, but the principle is biblical. Anybody can't just walk up and grab the scroll, the scroll from Father God. You cannot redeem the world. There's only one that can do that. There's only one that could take that scroll from his hand. Have you heard the story of Ruth and the kinsman redeemer? That's what this is a picture of. Revelation, let's look at 5, 3, and 4. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. In other words, there's nobody around. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. So John now is weeping. And I want to stop for a second and let's just take a breath. He's not crying. He's weeping. And there's a major difference. He's not crying like he's just upset, shedding a tear, boo-hoo. No, he's gut-wrenching weeping. Have you ever wept and or sobbed? Not, not just, oh, I'm, but when something has just got you at your core and you have just cried out and, and you are just, mm. That's what John is doing. He's invested in other words, all that John is, and remember, this is John the Beloved. He's one of the three that Jesus hung out with the most. He's invested. Have you ever met someone invested? Somebody that is all in. Not 99 and a half. They are all in. They are invested. It is all or nothing. It is God's way or the highway. Come on. Is there anybody in the room that's invested? I can tell you what this means, and I'm telling you because it's almost too fresh in my mind. You know, six months or so ago, I laid on an ICU table having a heart attack. And I've never been there before like that. Don't ever want to go and believe I'll never go back again. And I, there's people around. I don't know who they are. There's seven or eight people, and they're rushing around in a flurry. Kim is not there. They wouldn't let her back. I don't know how she got back or when she got back. I knew I asked the doctor or the, the, the nurse guy that was standing there. I said, I'll make you a deal. He said, what's that? I said, do whatever you want. Just knock me out. Can you knock me out? And he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Glaceman. And I wanted to say, oh, who knocked me out? You know, I mean, <clears throat> but then she came in and she squeezed in between people or whatever. And I felt her hand grab my hand. Now, I didn't even have my eyes open, but I could hear her voice and I knew her touch. Come on. I mean, that's been my partner for all these years. She grabbed my hand, and she was invested. So let me tell you what invested is. She did not care what the doctors thought. She did not care what the nurses thought. She did not care what anybody thought. She began to talk out loud and said, Satan, you will not take my husband today. My man will not die. He will live, and he shall not die. I bind, and I break this heart attack. And she started speaking. And I don't know what these people were thinking, and frankly, I didn't care. Because she had grabbed a hold of my, she was vested. And matter of fact, because she was vested, the dude watching the radar, <laughs> whatever that is, but he goes, are you guys seeing this? 
Whatever was happening was reversing, and this is what he said. His exact words were, lady, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Well, and here I am. That's what it means to be vested. This is what's going through John's mind. He realizes there's nobody that can take this scroll. There's nobody that can break the seal. There's nobody that can open the seal. And, and he, the world that he knows is lost. There is no hope, and he doesn't see anybody that can come. War, poverty, anger, hatred, sin. I mean, we've all seen some of that now. There's people that have been through wars if they've got some age. They've, they were here during the Depression or World War II or whatever. I mean, we've seen stuff. But it almost sounds like it's almost too familiar. But think about the stuff that John saw back in that day. He was a firsthand witness to abuse. We've seen abuse. He was a firsthand witness to lawlessness. We've seen that. Cruelty, power abuse. You know, people get whatever goes to their head and they just do whatever. And he saw people, check this out, he saw people die. I don't want to see people die, but he saw them die by the sword. He saw them uh, die by crucifixion. What a horrible death. And he saw them die as sport being fed to lions. I mean, that's nasty. And there are people that just love that. Yay, and they would do this. Let them live. No, let them not. You know, there's people out there because they're just evil. Entertain me. Kill them. We live in a society that sometimes people don't care about anybody but them. But turn to your neighbor and say, help is on the way. I mean, it's so messed up sometimes that we were like, God, we need this fixed. And that's what John is saying. But help was coming. Revelation 5, 5 says this. The one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. So this is what he's saying. John, is, he's weeping. He's sobbing. He's upset. And this guy says, hey, listen, suck it up, buttercup. Quit crying. Quit crying. He says, look, you're crying about something, but you don't have to cry anymore because here he comes. And so he points to Jesus. He declares him the lion of the tribe of Judah, but John doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, and he sees a slaughtered, slain, bloody lamb. I mean, what a sight. We have no real concept, I don't think. We kind of think what Jesus went through, but do we really know? I mean, I don't think we could even, I mean, oh my word. Judah was the line of Israel's kings, and the line of the tribe of Judah is Jesus. And he is one. He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. He went for the cross for anybody that would accept him. The Bible says, those, if you cry out, he'll hear you and save you. He told us, Jesus said himself, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Look at John 16, 33. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, the line of the tribe of Judah is able to redeem. John sees that slain lamb, Revelation 5, 6. This is what it says. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes which represents the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out in every part of the earth. 
So this image is almost one of the most striking things that we would think, like, I wonder what that would look like. It was so symbolic of the lamb. Now think about this. John the Baptist, I said it earlier, he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus was coming to be baptized, you gotta understand, at that point, you need to, when Jesus, before he was baptized, he had done absolutely nothing. He didn't do anything. He hadn't healed his first prayer. He hasn't done anything until after he was baptized. Read it. What I'm saying is, it has been declared what, you know, his future, what was going to happen. So John says that he sees the lamb. Was it not the lamb's blood that was put over the doorpost of the uh, Israel, of the, the people, so that they would be saved from the death angel? They were in the house, and they said, let's put that, that blood over that doorway. And that blood was put over the doorway on the top and the sides, and as the blood ran down, it, it shaped and formed a cross. This is what John is seeing. Isaiah 53 gives a clear picture of the Savior like a lamb being led to slaughter. The slain lamb is Jesus. He describes him in verse 6. We just read seven horns, seven eyes. Seven spirits represent the Spirit of God that sent out to every part of the earth. It makes me think, I mean, I'm putting this down. I'm like, oh, wow, seven, seven, seven. That's 21. And I start thinking of all these different things. What could this mean? Seven is the Bible's number for complete or perfect. So it's completion or perfection. Horns represent power. Seven of them and those eyes are all powerful. They're all seeing. And the seven spirits, they're all present. So basically, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. The lamb bears the very attributes of God. Jesus said it over and over again. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you heard me say it, I heard it from Dad. I mean, that's just how it is. You grow up with an earthly father. I grew up, my father's here. My father used to smoke cigarettes many, many years ago. And there was a commercial on TV, and, and the father, and I don't know if you'll remember this commercial, but the father was walking, and, and uh, he took a, a, a stick, and he was walking by a, a fence, you know, and just da-da-da-da-da. And so the little boy was about five or six. He picked up the stick, and he's walking by the fence doing just what Dad did. Dad stopped by the, the pond, and he picked up a rock, and he skipped it. And, and went like that, the little boy went over. He looked at his dad, picked up a rock, and he tried to skip it. And then they were sitting by a tree. The dad grabbed a cigarette, stuck it in his mouth, set the pack down. The little boy reached for the pack of cigarettes, and they froze the shot. My dad said, I'm quitting. He said, because my son is not going to fight this. You see, we learn by who we hang with. Isn't that true? You know, statistics say that you'll be like the five people you hang out with the most. Who are you hanging out with? Well, I want to be more like God. Then you better hang out with people that are hanging out with God. And you start doing what God is telling you. This is what is happening. This is Jesus is able to do the scroll. Seven eyes, seven horns, seven spirits. Seven and eight of that chapter five says, he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings 
And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So we're going to hopefully talk a little more about incense here uh, about when we get you know, some more further down the road. The, the prayers of the people are those incense in the bowls. God's, and, and it's saying they all have harps. Now, we get this picture of what we see on TV is these chubby little angels with the, their little bottoms and everything and their wings and these big harps and their... Probably not the way that is. Um, and, and so they're talking about harps, but actually those are called, and what I'm saying, they had something more, and they used to call them a zither, which is it's kind of like a, a harp and a guitar morphed together in a smaller fashion. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of the idea. But what they're, they're gearing up, now think about this. Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, goes up to Father, and, and Father takes, he's got the scroll in his right hand, he takes it and he hands it to him. And as soon as he hands it to him, boom, everything starts happening. They're, they're gearing up for the biggest concert ever. You think we had some good praise and worship today? Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? I mean, what they're gearing up, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. So, I mean, it's just, it's about to be the best concert ever because they have, now listen, they have seen the Lamb. They know who the Savior is. They know who's going to open up the scroll. He has now stepped forward and now has been made himself known. He has went through all the hell. He's made it on the other side. He's created the bridge. He's going to do everything that is needed to get you to where he's at. There's gratitude. You're on this side of victory. I mean, there's a cry of just gratitude, a thanksgiving cry. Not not man-made, not just, have you ever, now let me just say, we have four children, love my kids, but we have had to make them apologize or say thank you. You ever had to do that? And when they do that, some of it is extremely forced. Come on, tell them you're sorry. Sorry. (laughs) That's so heartfelt. You know, the, others, the other child is like, yeah, right, talk to the hand. I don't even want to hear it. You know, you should be. I have disciplined the wrong children for what I thought was the wrong thing because the other one told me the wrong story, and I had spanked the one and then found out, spanked the wrong kid. I can't take those back. When I was little, we, we got what the world loves now or doesn't love. We got spanked. I don't know how you do it all now, but we did. My mom, she wore out her hand on me. And I would rather get spanked by my mom than my dad. Because if she got real mad, she would say, you just wait till your father gets home. Well, my dad always came home. I didn't like it when, I mean, I liked him coming home, but I didn't like what was happening once he got home. Because when mom spanked me, it didn't really hurt. I could almost be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> but, but what would happen is I would get disciplined, and sometimes for stuff I didn't even know that involved my sister telling on me of something I never did. <laughs> Wherever she's at, there she's back there. And I'd be like, I don't even, I'd be looking at mom going, why are you spanking me? You know what you did. And I'm like, no, I don't. And I'd leave and my sister be. <laughs> she said, I don't remember any of that. 
But anyway, we, I, get, I get disciplined, and if it wasn't real bad and I wasn't grounded, I'd get to go back outside. My point is this. When I go back outside to see my friends, my friends would never know I got spanked. You couldn't tell I got spanked. You couldn't tell anything was wrong because I'd already passed the suck it up buttercup. I'm not going to go out there and you know, whine or anything. When we're talking Jesus showed up, there's no mistake of what he's been through. There's, I mean, you, cannot, you can't cover this up. There's no, there's no makeup that would hide what the slaughtered lamb looked like. And he's looking at every person in eyes of love saying, this blood's for you. That's what he's doing. He did that so that we could be redeemed. So this gratitude is not man-made. It's not forced. It's not thanks. It's not sorry. It is like there are not words that can express. You just saved me. You, you, you don't even know me. Do you know that people will find Jesus today? But he knew you. He knew them. And he chose you and them before we ever chose him. That's our Jesus. You were worth dying for. That's our Jesus. You were worth taking all of those stripes and those beatings. That's our Jesus. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. So we can just give him gratitude right from our heart. Thank you. Let me, let me say this. I've, I've led a lot of people to Jesus, and God has been so good. We were in a service in a church, and I led a lady that had been a dancer in bars to Jesus. She had never felt what she felt that day. And, like, we're about to read these people saying a new song. You ever sing a new song when you're just so, like, I just, I don't know what to even say? You know, whatever. She was so excited because she knew God had touched her. And she just started to dance. That's all she knew, because that's what she did. There were people that did not like that. Now, she didn't, I don't, I'm not saying she danced provocative or anything like that. I think she had enough scruples to, she wasn't trying to do that. But she, but it was, it was not like, it wasn't the Holy Ghost hop. Okay, I mean, she was, I mean, she's doing the Batman. She's doing, I don't know what she's doing. You know, she, she's doing a lot. <laughs> I'm giving lessons. At, no, I'm not. But there are people that got upset. But let me just tell you, the person full of gratitude, they're not upset. And they're at a point where they, if you want to get upset, knock yourself out. Because I know I've been redeemed. We used to sing that song, like I said, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. She knew something had happened. Jesus had touched her heart. The slain Lamb had done whatever he needed to do for her. And she was excited about it. Let's, go, let's look at 9 through 14. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood had ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. They will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. Listen to this. And the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy as a lamb who was slaughtered, to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. That's pretty huge. You know what it's saying? It's saying creatures. We do, you know, like, have you ever watched Narnia? And you've seen Aslan, who represents Christ, and you've seen all these other... And we're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we love the symbolism. It's so good. They're saying that there's going to be creatures that are going to be, they're just praising God. They're singing a new song. I'm not going to tell God how to write the book. I'm just going to sit there and go, thank you, Jesus. And that's what we need to start accepting. God, I'm just, you know what? I'm just in awe of how incredible you are. Now, we are just scratching the surface of just part of this book. Just crazy, amazing awesomeness of God and the price that Jesus paid for you and I. Because you know when the seals are broken, they cannot be broken unless, unless the price was paid in full. So when he comes forward to take the scroll, John can stop weeping. Because now where he couldn't find anybody... There is one. And so when Jesus comes and gets the scroll, that means the earth has been redeemed. Because the one and the only one that could do it is Jesus, the slain lamb. That's amazing. Now I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us just to understand maybe just a little bit. If you're like, Pastor Brett, I just, that's exciting. Man, this is better than any movie that anybody could put out. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if you're here and those that are online and you're listening to this and you're saying, I want more of Jesus. Now, first of all, before I, I pray, I want you to look up at me. I want everybody to look at me. And I want us to understand in the kingdom of God, there's a mind shift. And things happen differently in the kingdom than they do in the earth. In the earth, we have worldly things. We go by our own national or natural reasoning. And that's how the enemy comes in, in the five sense realm. He tries to get you in your natural reasoning. But as a believer, we can supersede the natural because we're connected by the Spirit of God because of what the slain lamb did. And we can go past what we naturally know and get a glimpse or knowledge or answers that only God could give you. So in the world, when you're not feeling well, your natural senses will tell you, you know what, I got this, or I got this, or this is what's happening. We are naturally, we would say this. I'm, now I'm not saying this for anybody in here or myself, so I, I'm breaking, I'm very careful to how I try to say this. But this is how somebody might say this. I'm, I'm sick and I'm believing for healing. So what we're doing by that statement is we are yes to what the enemy is doing and we're believing God to come in and take care of that. In the kingdom, our viewpoint is on this side that doesn't say, I don't have to beg for healing because it's already provided for what the slain lamb did. So my viewpoint on this side is I'm healed fighting off sickness that's trying to get on my body.
Do you see the difference? There's a major difference in a mind shift there. In other words, you know, we don't have to say, you know what, I have nothing. Don't, don't profess that. Father, I have everything. I thank you for prosperity coming my... I break and I bind lack and a poverty mindset off my life. God, give me your thoughts. And you fight things differently. Now think about Jesus. It is written. And he began to fight things just the way I'm telling you. You want This would be a major change in your life if you just hear what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here this morning,